Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is World's Greatest Con. I'm Brian Brushwood. Why are we obsessed with coming-of-age stories. Also, if you're under the age of 25, please do not embarrass yourself by trying to answer that. Because the answer is once you get some years underneath you, you realize how much you owe to those random gateway moments. And in the moment, they never feel special. But they stick with you. They make a little change. They can end up shaping your life determining your career path, who you marry, what kind of children you have. By the time you're 50 years old, you can trace back to one silly moment, an entire life's work. Twenty-nine years ago, this exact month, I began my entire magic career. And it wasn't because I loved illusion. It wasn't because I loved the starry-eyed look of children and being amazed. And it certainly wasn't because I thought there was money in it. It was one very simple reason. Gordon Prince. My best friend Gordon refused to tell me how a trick was done. We're sitting outside in the parking lot of the local movie theater where we both worked. He spread the cards, and I had a truly free choice. He squared them up, had me place the card on top, and cut the deck, and cut the deck again, and cut the deck again and again and again, until I was absolutely convinced there was no way, short of them being marked cards, which I knew they weren't, they were mine, there was no way he could know where my card was. And that son of a bitch found it. I tried to play it as cool as... An 18-year-old Brian Brushwood could, just sort of quietly nodding, a little bit of a frown as I tilt my head and say, huh, not bad. Yeah, uh, yeah, I'm getting pretty tired. Uh, hey, whoa, wait, that last one, how, uh, how did you do that one? And Gordon has the audacity to look me straight in the face and say the words I remember to this very day. Now, this one's too good. Something broke in me. The next day, I went to college, and I figured out, while Gordon was back in high school, I suddenly had a lot of free time. I took a bus up to a transfer station to get on another bus. I walked two miles down the road to a small mom-and-pop magic shop in North Austin that was run out of a garage. 
I left there with one pack of playing cards and a copy of The Royal Road to Card Magic. And on chapter one, I learned it was something called the key card. Ha, got you, Gordon. But I'm not stopping there because now I'm in it to crush him. I've got time. I've got information. I've got no friends. These don't all necessarily sound like advantages. And before I knew it, months later, I was working part-time gigs, making three times the amount of money I could make working at a movie theater. So I kept on going. I talked my professors into letting me make my senior thesis a magic show. And now all of a sudden I had 35 minutes of good material. I went on tour with an illusion act running sound, dating and marrying the lovely assistant. I quit my day job in May of 1999, and two years later, I was on The Tonight Show. I won awards. I went on The Tonight Show again. I launched a show called Scam School that led to my own TV show on National Geographic, which is the reason I met Justin Robert Young. And the two of us co-created the very show you're listening to right now. There would be no magic career, no television shows, no world's greatest con. I wouldn't have married my wife. I wouldn't have the three kids that I have. There would be no Brian Brushwood that you know today if in that parking lot, Gordon had told me how he did that damn trick. Maybe that's the other reason. And we're fascinated with these coming-of-age stories. Because the characters in these stories, they don't realize that the decisions they make could shape the rest of their lives. And sometimes, in very special circumstances, literally reshape the world. On this season of World's Greatest Con, I'm going to tell you one of these kinds of stories. Two teenagers, full of righteous indignation, the kind of fire and fury that only an 18-year-old can have. They're going to punch way above their weight and attempt an audacious multi-year con. These teenagers look around and they think the world has gone crazy. That the authorities began believing in fantasy and that it's being funded with millions of dollars. And if these kids see that the people in charge believe it, then the real con men are free to fleece the public peddling this nonsense. In their eyes, the only way to humble all of them is to show the bigwigs exactly how easy it is to take advantage of them. Just like all teenagers, they don't truly understand what it's going to cost them and how it will change their lives forever. This is a tale of daring, friendship, brothers and fathers, a warning of betrayal, ego, and baffling overconfidence. But to understand the motivations of our main characters, you first have to wrap your mind around how broken the world is for them and why they would risk everything to fix it in what just might be the world's greatest con. This episode of World's Greatest Con brought to you by... You know what? Actually, let's start here. Heads up, gang. Story matters. You know it and I know it. That's why we're here right now. And that's why you need to go to Amazon.com and grab yourself a copy of The Girl Beneath the Sea by Wall Street Journal bestselling author Andrew Maine. Picture this. You're Sloan McPherson, a Florida police diver. Your assignment? To recover a body from the dark and murky depths of the intercoastal waterway. But when you get there... You're stunned to discover that the victim is no stranger, and the twists only start there. The Girl Beneath the Sea is a masterclass in suspense, expertly weaving together underwater adventure with heart-pounding murder mystery. And once you are hooked, 
Don't worry, it's only book one of the Underwater Investigation Unit series that also includes Black Coral, Sea Storm, and Sea Castle. If you love suspense, if you know how good Andrew Maine's razor-sharp writing is, and you love a compelling cast of characters, this book is an absolute must-read. Head on over to Amazon.com to get your print or ebook copies of The Girl Beneath the Sea, or if you prefer to listen to your books like I do, head on over to Audible.com. That's The Girl Beneath the Sea from Andrew Maine, the best-selling author of the Theo Cray Naturalist series, available now at Amazon.com and Audible.com. One of the trickier things to understand in culture and influence is the idea of social contagion. The idea that fads, rumors, memes, the way they spread and they change the shape and direction of society. Careers have been dedicated to this phenomenon, not just in academia, but in influence-based jobs, advertising, and of course, the world of cons. After all, if you could guess which ideas are gonna be fresh, exciting, and new, you're already halfway to taking advantage of it. From our best guesses, to have an idea spread fast and hit critical mass needs a lot of things to go right. Maybe the most important is acknowledging that in a world of chaos, we crave order. A startling story from Lenin in 1914 with 13 followers to the present with one billion people under the control of a comparative handful of communists. If, as the communists say over and over again, war is inevitable, then it is sheer folly for us not to make every conceivable political, economic, military, and psychological preparation to win. No one knows what the end of the story will be. That's up to you. That's actor Ronald Reagan narrating a film about the threat of communism in 1962. Now, of course, he goes on to become the president. But that's not until the 80s. For our story, we're right in the middle. Welcome to the 70s in the USA. The adult children of the baby boom are now suffering from the lingering effects of the world wars the greatest generation fought. We're seeing the emergence of the United States of America as the preeminent Western superpower. Interconnected highway systems, a booming economy, and the brand new medium of television, they all conspire to microwave a monoculture, one that could be exported throughout the free world. And free world is the operative phrase here. Because on the other side of the Iron Curtain is the other great victor of the Great Wars, the United Soviet Socialist Republics, the USSR. The communist superbloc bound their citizens to a common glorious purpose. And through that central vision and execution, they could always be able to overcome any loose configuration of self-interests. Now, if you're younger than I am, do me the favor of forgetting everything you know about Russia. Forget everything about communism. Forget everything you know about the leadership of the USSR. Because for our story, you don't need any of that. You're just a kid in the 70s, and just like everyone else, you're assuming at some point the world is going to end. In the minds of my generation, this looming super conflict with the USSR, it's not just a possibility, it's a certainty. 
Hell, even your sci-fi had kind of a communistic bent to it. Star Trek, where there's no money. We all just help each other because that's what we do, comrade. And the threat just kept looming larger. The arms race was a very real thing. The looming shadow of nuclear war. And our big defense in my elementary school was to hide under a desk. Paul and Patty know this. No matter where they go or what they do, they always try to remember what to do if the atom bomb explodes right then. It's a bomb. Duck and cover. And in fact, that may be a good way to understand the cultural mood, this sense of helplessness. The weapons had all just become too powerful. The leaders too distant, too crazy. At any moment in any town, a bomb could be launched and boom, the world would be over before we knew it. Not because of anything you did. Not because of anything you believed. Just because. And it's in this moment of learned helplessness that humanity craved something more, something different, some kind of outside force that could possibly turn the tide We wanted to believe. And if it's our minds that are torturing us with all these grim possibilities, maybe inside our mind was where we could find the solution as well. Maybe, just maybe, with enough practice and research, we could unlock the true promise of the human brain through, and I'm serious, psychic phenomenon. All right, here's the good part. In a pre-internet world where all you got to learn was on TV or in books, the 70s were this golden age of so much awesome spooky stuff. In San Francisco, as in other American cities, Satan is alive and well. There doesn't seem to be much doubt that UFOs are happening. And along with archaeologists and oceanographers, parapsychologists are joining in the search to locate evidence of the legendary lost continent of Atlantis. Cryptids like Bigfoot or the Loch Ness Monster, visits from aliens in other galaxies, ancient astronauts. But here's the thing. It's hard to believe in a Bigfoot if you ain't seen one. It's hard to believe in an alien if you ain't met one. But if you've had that experience of picking up the phone to call someone and they were already on the line? If you've ever been humming a song, turned on the car, and the radio's playing that exact hit, that's personal. That's why nothing was taken quite as seriously by the real institutions built on taking things seriously as the power of extrasensory perception. The possibilities and I mean the military possibilities, were endless. Meanwhile, the governments of both Russia and America are quietly sponsoring psychic research. Both countries have seriously considered using telepathy, the direct transference of thought from one mind to another. Remote viewing, the ability to see something miles, if not hundreds of miles away. Telekinesis, the ability to move something using only your mind. Literal mind control, the ability to see into the head of somebody else and control their physical actions. In a pre-internet world, separated by an iron curtain where we only have television propaganda to guide us, 
rumors begin to circulate that the Soviets are putting real research into exactly these pursuits. And if the Reds are going to start making psychic soldiers, the U.S. can't lose this ultimate arms race. And so we open up a disturbing, dark period of governmental psychological research. Programs hidden within programs that try to unprogram the human mind through medically induced comas and electroshock therapy. Entrapping citizens, including children, and dosing them with psychedelics, all of them hoping to unlock some final phase of human evolution so these children can become weapons against our enemy before they do the same to us. If this sounds familiar to our younger listeners, it's because I'm describing the world that Stranger Things is set in. If for whatever reason you ain't seen the show, takes place in a small town in middle USA, 1980s, a bunch of misfits find an escapee from a psychic laboratory named Eleven. On the TV show, she has genuine psychic powers because it's a TV show. But in real life, our life, there were real life Elevens who were taken in by government experiments with the exact same goals. And their story is horrifying. I was given a glass of Kool-Aid and so were the other children. This Kool-Aid was spiked with LSD. Let's pause. This is all very scary and all very, very real. Programs like this could be their own episode. Hell, their own series. But this episode is about social contagion. This contagion that's hit a critical mass that is causing full-grown adults to torture children to hunt for it. And like I said at the beginning, when the world wants to believe something and the con man recognizes what it is, he's already halfway to getting it. The young Israeli psychic, Yuri Geller, who's puzzled scientists with his ability to bend metal with his mind and to dematerialize objects, claims that the power to do this is channeled through him from an extraterrestrial intelligence. Well, if Keller is right, we all have a lot of new thinking to do. It's breaking, I think, now. It's, it's, look, it's becoming plastic, and there is no heat. Look, very gently. It's fracturing, I think. Is that right? Born in the mid-40s, Yuri Geller is the poster boy for the psychic boom of the 1970s. An Israeli soldier injured during military service He goes on to become a nightclub entertainer. He became a sensation because of a simple, extraordinary claim. He had the powers the world wanted to believe in. He could find water in a desert through dowsing. He knew what you were thinking and could prove it. But what played best on TV? He could bend metal with his mind. Spoons were his specialty. That image of a spoon melting at the slightest touch is a window into our obsession. A spoon isn't the most sturdy of items. Yeah, it would be more impressive if he could bend an I-beam at a construction site or go to a prison and just with his pinkies open up the bars. But nobody has I-beams laying around the house and no prison wants somebody bending their bars. Meanwhile, everybody knows a spoon. 
What are those things you touch every single day? Visually, the wobbling of the spoon head, that's poetry. When you see one severed, it's truly a miracle. It's like the head coming off the serpent of your own disbelief. I was listening to the radio and he said, hey, uh, there's this man, you know, and he's got these superhuman powers and he can bend metal with his mind. And uh, he's going to come on the program next week and he's going to teach everybody in their homes how to bend metal with their minds. And I thought, wow, this is amazing. That's Banachek, one of the greatest minds in the performing art of mentalism. So, yep, next week I was right there with my brothers sitting by the radio listening, and the man's name was Yuri Geller, and Yuri Geller had become a sensation around the world. You know, I'd already heard about Yuri Geller, and every adult that I knew believed Yuri Geller was genuine. So, of course, I did. I was a kid, right? I just believed whatever the adults told me. So Geller comes on the radio, and he says, uh, you know, go get any piece of metal and bring it to the radio. When we come back from commercial break, you know, you're going to bend it with your mind. Now, it won't work for everybody, but for many of you, it will work. So I went around the house looking for a piece of metal. I found a little needle. I thought, well, that'd be great, right? It's not going to be hard to bend. I should be able to do that if anybody can bend metal with their mind. If I, I can do it, that, that'll work. So I got the needle and I brought it up to the radio. And he said, concentrate on it. And I concentrated on that needle and I bore my eyes into it. And I believed that it was going to bend. I mean, why wouldn't I want to have superhuman powers, especially with my background at that particular time? And I also wanted my siblings to believe I could bend metal, right? So I'm holding that needle up and I concentrate on it and it bends. Now, minutely, like minutely, like on a micro level, it bent. I believe that it actually bent, right? Right now, Banachek is headlining at the Strat Resort right on the Las Vegas Strip. But back then, he was just a lonely little boy in South Africa, desperately hoping that he could be special, that his belief in Geller could unlock the same genuine powers within him. And it wasn't just children hoping Geller was right. Academia believed too. The trustees of Stanford University founded what would become the Stanford Research Institute in the 1920s. It gave us some of the first research on air pollution and the ozone layer. In the 1950s, they were hired by Walt and Roy Disney to investigate the feasibility of a theme park in Southern California. They helped movies develop color film, pioneering the process behind Technicolor. But by the 1970s, that social contagion had them too. They wanted to uncover the truth behind what they called parapsychology. And they knew just who they wanted to see. Yuri Geller. During this series of experiments, they tested Geller and his claimed ability to remote view, to replicate drawings created in a totally different room. They determined these experiments to be a success, and they said it warranted further study. The world had already seen all it needed to. Yuri Geller, charismatic, symmetrical, nice jawline, handsome figure, now with validated powers? Yuri became an instant phenomenon. I've been reading a lot of research on him uh, from the Stanford Research Institute and from the uh, science section of the New York Times. A lot of publicity on this gentleman whose name is Uri, U-R-I, Uri Geller. That's Yuri making his debut on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. It's hard to understand what this meant from our point of view, living in a fractured world of subcultures on the internet. But at this time, The Tonight Show is Mount Olympus. Appointment viewing, a ground where only gods tread. 
Movie stars, athletes, politicians, the ones where you only need to say their first name because your brain has already auto-completed the rest. But it's also a place where mortals can become gods. Yuri is the right man at the right place at the right time. The stars were aligned. He could not fail. But he did fail. He failed spectacularly. And that was because one man, who had become Geller's greatest adversary, believed something else about Geller. He believed that Geller was only doing the same magic tricks that illusionists had pioneered for hundreds, if not thousands of years. He believed Geller was only taking advantage of that social contagion, that desire to believe. He believed he knew how to expose him. And that's exactly what James Randi did. This episode of World's Greatest Con brought to you by our friends over at Manscaped. Now buckle up, because the puns are coming. Manscaped is here with a deal that you can't pass over this Easter season. They've got the tools to give you the beautifully decorated eggs of your dreams. Just because it's Easter doesn't mean it's okay to hide those bad boys betwixt all that tall grass. So make sure your downstairs lawn is mowed. I think they're talking about... Hey... Justin, are they, are they talking about shaving your downstairs bits for men? Yep. Okay. Get yourself feeling as sweet as candy. <laughs> you know what? Can, can, can I just speak plainly? Uh, as a man, oftentimes we don't take the time to manicure our, our, our genital areas. It's time to put all your eggs into the perfect basket with the Performance Package 4.0 by Manscaped. Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, weed whacker 2.0, crop preserver, ball deodorant, crop reviver toner, performance boxer briefs, and a travel bag to hold your goodies. But most importantly, save 20% off. Start taking care of your downstairs bits by using promo code WGC for world's greatest con. Head on over to manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping when you use promo code WGC at manscaped.com. I actually uncovered James Randi before I knew about Uri Geller. And I knew about Randi just because as an escape artist, it had a very similar parallel to the things that I was starting to do. That's Mike Edwards. And at the moment he's talking about, he's in high school in Iowa, becoming a bit of a local celebrity for his own daring feats as an escape artist and magician. Naturally, he starts checking out the challenges that came before him, and he comes across James the Amazing Randy, who began his own career as an escape artist and magician up in Canada. My entire life long, I've only seen James Randy one way. Four foot something or other, giant beard, incredibly big bushy eyebrows, bit of a scowl on his face, while he issues razor-sharp wit at all times. He's like a snarky, stand-up, halfling Gandalf. Randy's career as a magician and escape artist took him all over the world, 
And in 1956, on NBC's The Today Show, he broke the endurance and escape record set by Harry Houdini himself, eventually emerging from a sealed metal coffin at the bottom of a hotel swimming pool at the 104-minute mark. But that wasn't the only way Randy mirrored Houdini. Just like the legendary magician battled the spiritualists of the early 20th century, Randy believed fraudsters were using deception techniques achievable to anybody who wants to read a magic book as genuine powers. And in the process, they took advantage of the most vulnerable among us, including grieving families seeking to communicate with dead loved ones. Randy exposed these practices on New York City radio throughout the 60s. But as our social contagion begins to truly take root in the 1970s, he helps to found the Committee for the Scientific Investigation of Claims of the Paranormal, PSYCOP. During this time, Randy writes his most famous book to date, 1975's The Magic of Uri Geller, a book devoured by kids like our friend Mike. And then I started reading his book, The Magic of Uri Geller, uh, which really uncovered what a uh, devious crook, I believe, Uri Geller is and still is to this day. And that really infuriated me because it is somebody that's bastardizing our art as magical entertainers for their own personal gain, um, for their own personal fame, and for their ability to um, fleece people for their money. A defining moment of that book? Exactly how Randy helped engineer the humiliation on national TV of parapsychology poster boy Yuri Geller with the help of another magician who suspected Geller didn't have the powers he claimed, Johnny Carson. According to Randy, Geller had a very simple and very rudimentary way of achieving his amazing feats. He cheated. Specifically, while Geller was charming everybody who was about to test him, Geller's associate would in secret find out what materials are going to make up the test. Once he found them, according to Randy, his associate would prepare the items to ensure success, including but not limited to pre-bending spoons. After talking to one of the scientists who was on hand for Geller's Stanford experiments, Randy became convinced that the research's desire to believe Geller was what really led them to be taken advantage of by simple techniques like these. But Johnny Carson, the Zeus of our monocultural Mount Olympus, he did not want to bless a hoaxer. If Geller had the goods, he could do it the way he said he did it, with his mind, and only his mind. So if The Tonight Show was going to give a truly fair airing of Geller's abilities, then the protocol was simple. Don't tell Geller what the experiments will be and keep all the material away from prying fingers. And that's exactly what Randy suggested. As you know, I told your people what to bring. Mm -hmm. One of the experiments I did at uh, SRI Mm -hmm. is uh, finding a hidden object in 10 cans, of course. I did it repeatedly all the time. Right. And we have Uh, 10 aluminum cans there and 10 over here. I was already trying to concentrate on them, so I'll take and since I'll we ha- the water. Now, since we have been gone, let me explain to the audience at home that he has not touched these objects in any way. They were brought over here by our property man. The table was placed here. And while we have been away, you have not touched them in any manner. I will ver- verify that. 
So uh, I'll just move my hands over them, and uh, if I'll feel for... And one of them contains water yeah, of I'll the like ten. I like to do it the way... Um, We'll start eliminating the ones that do not have the water. I cannot say enough about how awkward these 22 minutes of Geller's segment are. When you know the story behind it, it is excruciating. Not only because Geller can't achieve any of the feats he's on the show to exhibit, but because Carson, this effortless titan of all pop culture, just lets him twist. Now, all what I do now is uh, try to have a sort of a feeling where, where the water is. Now, you're not touching them at all. You can see that I'm not. Well, I don't trust me. <laughs> okay, take this one out. There's no water in uh oh, oh careful. Must... Sorry. Wait, you know, pick them very, very carefully. Right. Carson gives him no one-liners, asks only a few questions. The rest is just an expectant gaze on the experiment. He is really suspicious, you know. <laughs> I'm having a hard time with you. Okay, I don't mean to be, Yuri. I really no, no, don't. Just, just keep looking. And um, I'm telling. The viewers, if I miss, then I miss. I won't pass here. Usually I pass if I... Uh, usually I pass if I don't feel for it, but I'm, if I'm wrong, then I'll be wrong. Uh, I'll also be a little disappointed, but that's the way it goes if I'm pressed. See, Johnny, what happens here... You can see that there's nothing put on here. I'm not yes, I understand. trying to make it longer. I'm trying to feel. If, I, if there's no feeling, then I can't do it. Mm -hmm. That's it. Give me a little more time. All right. You, you, no, we're, we're, gonna, we're not we'll, going to touch it. We'll cut away from a commercial, and I will verify, and everybody in the studio will verify that okay. nobody will touch the objects, okay? Right. Because I, do, I don't want to push in on that, but obviously we don't have, you know, unlimited time on, on a television show. I wish, wish we did. Oh, and also a Kentucky Fried Chicken live read. Which one is the breast? <laughs> do you find your meals too routine? Watch closely and see how dinner can turn into a barrel of fun. And we're back to flop sweat. We're back. How are you feeling, Ari? Fine. I feel fine myself. In other words, this is something you just have to feel and you, you, you can't be pressed on That's it. That's it. It can be pressed. For the record, Geller never made a pick. After the segment... Geller assumed he was ruined. That's it, he would tell a journalist. I was destroyed. Randy's book about Geller went on to be a success. Geller attempted to sue Randy over it. He failed. Randy goes on to become the face of the skeptic movement, an icon to critical thinking. And many people point to that moment, that failure by Geller, live on The Tonight Show with millions watching... This was the moment the tide turned. A false god was unmasked. After all, Randy proved his point. Randy says, hey man, if you're going to lie and say you're a real psychic, I'm going to bust you because I know what you're doing. Randy says, Yuri Geller, you're a fraud, stealing attention, fame, and money away from the people who dare to believe you genuine. Meanwhile, James Randy, 
I mean, he's an honest liar. He's a magician. Yuri Geller does not claim to be a magician. He says he's psychic. And as of now, he's done. That's the story. But that's not what happened. Because despite his fears, Geller was far from destroyed. Because it turns out that when a belief is held, a deeply personal belief, getting dunked on is not an effective strategy to get people to change their mind. It's confirmation bias that your mind moved an object. That you remember the time that you looked at a clock and it happened to be 11-11 and it keeps happening all the time and you make a big deal about it. Every one of these pieces of confirmation reinforcing your belief, all of a sudden, the Tonight Show is not going to convince you that you were wrong this whole time. If anything... It's going to make you double down. You're going to think about how, of course, you can't do that. You can't just summon it at will. It's not a comic book power. It's got to be teased out with the right environment. And Johnny Carson clearly didn't do that. But at the end of the day, it was The Tonight Show. And everybody knew the name of Yuri Geller the next morning. If anything... This moment might have been the seed to codify the idea that when it comes to parapsychology, scientific rigors had to be relaxed. It's the only possible way to tease out these extraordinary powers of the mind. At this point, that social contagion, that need to believe, it was too strong. If anything, that desire to believe evolved to excuse this miss. Parapsychology was far from defeated. If anything, now even more people were fascinated by it, including academia. It's at this time that the board chairman of McDonnell Douglas, one of America's biggest and finest aerospace engineering companies, looks to Washington University in St. Louis to prove once and for all that psychic powers are real. What's more, he's putting his own money down to make it happen. Four million dollars of it, adjusted for inflation. And so, the McDonnell Lab, the Mac Lab for short, is born. The Mac Lab is looking for kids who can demonstrate psychic abilities. And to find them, they put out an open call for psychics to demonstrate their powers. And it's here that our story truly begins. Now that you understand the world, you'll understand the context for what's about to happen. Those two teenagers I told you about in the opening, they answer that open call. And it's kind of fitting that you've already met them without realizing exactly who they are. Banachek and Mike Edwards. Inspired by their hero, James Randi, they're going to take a righteous sword to this social contagion and they're going to pull it off. But let's remember that any social contagion is just an idea, an idea people believe. And in any con, any deception, any exploitation of our human programming, there is always a human cost. This is the story of Project Alpha. In 1979, aircraft tycoon James S. McDonnell gave half a million dollars for research to Washington University in St. Louis. They advertised for psychics. They thought they were too smart to be fooled. We all want to believe there's real magic. The most successful metal vendors were Steve Shaw and Mike Edwards, 
who amazed the St. Louis researchers. We see these people as the enemy. <laughs> you hold the cup of Christ. We don't see them as people. So we just, we were playing havoc. We did truly break the law. Oh my God, your dream came true, your dream came true. Everything's bent at the Mac lab. Move small solid objects across the tabletop, influencing a variety of metal objects such as keys and silverware and metal bars and metal rods. No, I didn't realize the dark side of Project Alpha. We're kids, we don't know any better, we have no clue. And we are listening to him howl and scream. He has a complete mental breakdown. The problem is a lie is a lie is a lie. I don't believe they're tricking us. He's got two guns in there. They are cocked, ready to fire. And that's one of the problems the scientists have when they're trying to judge this. They set up the experiment to start at 4 o'clock. The trick may have been done at 3.15. A lot of people think that Randy masterminded Project Alpha, and that is not the case. Knowing what I know now, I think the reveal would have been done differently. I fear that he believes we ruined part of his life. Can you tell us, how do you do it? Hold on. Be quite honest, we cheat. You may have heard of Project Alpha. You may have even seen it covered elsewhere. But my friends, I can assure you, you've never heard it like this. Straight from the mouths of the two boys, now men who actually made it happen. For the first time ever, it all begins on the next episode of the world's greatest con. This episode of World's Greatest Con is written by Justin Robert Young and me, Brian Brushwood, your humble host. Production and research by Dog and Pony Show Audio in Austin, Texas, with additional production by Will Saddleberg. Original music by Carson Pace. Support us directly and keep the world's greatest cons coming by heading on over to patreon.com slash greatest con. Get an ad-free feed, early access to information, and behind-the-scenes extras. Very special thanks go to Banachek and Mike Edwards for allowing us to tell their story. We greatly encourage you to see Banachek's new show, Mind Games, at the Strat Hotel and Casino on the Las Vegas Strip. Additional thanks go to George Slatter Productions, which, along with contemporary news articles, retrospectives, and archive videos, made for the bulk of our research. Of course, you have questions, and we want to answer as many as we can, so hit us up and we'll respond at the end of the season. Write us to worldsgreatestcon at gmail.com. On the next episode, we meet our heroes. The boys meet each other, and they realize they've gotten themselves way in over their head. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs> Dog and Pony Show Audio. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. 
Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.